Today's story is a little different, right? And uh, this is about a guy who started his life in a very tiny country, Belgium. Belgium is a country in the Western Europe is known for its medieval towns, Renaissance architecture, headquarters for NATO and uh, three languages officially, German, French and Dutch. Uh, you made it sound a little touristy, but a uh, country that is famous for its beer, its chocolates, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, he probably is uh, the most prolific uh, person that we have spoke to so far. Welcome to the Learning Digest. Harish, I think we've had a lot of support in 2016 and it was a great year. We just want to tell everybody thank you so much for all your overwhelming support in 2016 and we got some great stuff planned for you in 2017. So we hope you guys uh, continue to tune in, subscribe and uh, we're looking forward. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too and Happy New Year everyone. So how do we say his name? It's Stefan Von Hoidonk. There's a Y in the middle. So Hoidonk. Hoidonk. So right. Stefan Von Hoidonk. We'll just call him Stefan, right? Stefan is the chief learning officer for the most talked about Indian uh, startups, the the company in Indian startups, I should say. In a lot of ways, they were the first guys who are torchbearers of how the startup ecosystem in India works. Absolutely, uh, Flipkart. Absolutely, everybody knows Flipkart, so that makes this conversation even more interesting. All right, so uh, what we want to do today is take the career story of Stefan and uh, try and see if we can break it down. So let's get started. Stefan van Hoydonk, I'm Belgian. Uh, I'm here with my family since last August here in Bangalore and uh, truly enjoying it. Since I left university, I've been working pretty much all the time outside of my native Belgium. Uh, I started in Hong Kong and then I moved to China and then I moved to Finland and now I, I came to India. Um, it's just a job requirement. Uh, okay. uh, I have a, a double degree in Chinese and economics. Chinese because I wanted to do the, the strangest thing I could imagine. But I wasn't entirely uh, a complete freak, so I also uh, took uh, quite a number of uh, courses in economics at the time when the Chinese economy was just opening up. So I, I said to myself, I want to know a little bit more. I want to go into consulting, so I want to know a bit more about how business is run from a traditional Chinese point of view. Therefore, studying Marxist economics, people laugh at it, but actually made sense. It was actually quite an interesting year. It was just after Tiananmen, the debacle in Tiananmen. So just in case you didn't know, uh, Tiananmen Square is uh, you know, one of those popular s- stories about China where uh, you know China rolled out all its military power onto the main street and uh, people were protesting about it. I was this, this oddball foreigner sitting in a Chinese class uh, and the department head, I remember it coming to me on the first day and say, we, we had to allow you to join this class, but actually you're not allowed to talk to your fellow students. Because it was just after Tiananmen, remember, where the Chinese government was, uh, was quite sensitive about uh, foreigners, freedom, uh, and all the, the themes that you can imagine with that. And actually, since middle, middle school, first year in university, I was never very ambitious. Uh, until I went to that China for half a year and I suddenly realized that whatever I had been choosing at random almost was really something that fit me. There's this one image that keeps popping up now and then everywhere uh, where a woman is standing in front of a tank. How prolific can you get? I remember once uh, driving around 
Tiananmen Square with my bicycle and I saw this truck with all these angry looking policemen and soldiers pointing their gun at me. And also when you were driving in the street you could still feel the, uh, the imprints of the, of, the, of the tanks. And then I went uh, to Paris to do a degree in uh, uh, cross-cultural management. Of course, I was not going to consult any Chinese companies on how they were going to do things better. That was not at stake then. But as part of the open door policy, it was important that uh, uh, foreign companies, they started moving to China. So I said, let me, let me get a sense of what cross-cultural management means. So if foreigners would go to China, then at least I have a better sense of what uh, is awaiting them. All right, so here's what I understand. Uh, in this entire China story, what I'm able to pull out is that he's been one of those guys who went the other way around, right? He was one of those first guys who packed his packs and said, I want to go to China. Uh, early adopter, if you can if you can say so. Explore the unexpected. So he's been to places where I think have been uh, least obvious. Um, normally people at that time, you know, would run to the US or the UK, more of the developed countries. So... Correct. And, and that shows in all through his career, because just before he joined Flipkart, he talks about, you know, opportunities that he had in San Jose and in the Silicon Valley. But then he chose the Asia over the European and the Western countries. Obviously, India and Asia are two different dynamics altogether. I need something else. And I never worked for dot-com or never worked for an e-commerce company. And naturally, I was tending to, uh, to North America. Uh, and suddenly, uh, this weird company I'd never heard of. Uh, from India called me, you realize I spent 13 years in China and we've traveled extensively in India. Actually, the fact of, quote-unquote, going back to Asia was much more appealing. Like, uh, this was a much more greenfield operation and in North America it's more like brownfield or kind of entering into more established environment. So for me that excited me because I'm, I really like these greenfield environments. And my wife said, oh, this is beautiful. Uh, so it was almost like homecoming for us. So for me, you know, going places where it's still chaotic, it's still, uh, you know, not clear or process driven is one of the skills that uh, somebody can have to speed up their chances at a great career. One of the things that I also found, uh, not only with Stefan and, uh, you know, even in my previous conversations with Ramesh and Pratap and a few others, is that there is an unending supply of passion more than anything else it's these guys have always been passionate about what they do and what they truly believe in anybody who's passionate about what he or she does really does not rest they just keep going on and that you know that translates into results he's so committed to what he says and uh, he truly believes in what he says it's what makes them tick and it's what gives them the success they truly deserve I've, I've learned, I've picked up my things. Right. What I find in the meantime extremely important is that people have um, a weird edge. I want Can people I to that? be passionate about something and not just, oh, I love reading books in the book, staying with the books. I'm writing books. I'm part of book clubs. I've been last week to Mumbai uh, because I wanted really wanted to see a, an author of a book. That type of passion um, or, or not, I like photography but how many cameras do you have? 
uh, and where's your blog around? Uh, so those type of deep passions in the private space, I find really important. Today's knowledge workers run behind a very different set of career drivers and career priorities than what you and I used to do or what our parents used to do. You know, 21st century knowledge workers, they're all about purpose, autonomy and mastery. Those three things. And that's exactly what, what we're trying to do here with communities, with hackathons, with giving people opportunities, with, yes, also some training and some learning, uh, but also making lots of resources available to people. That's a primary care driver for them to succeed very well. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, and somebody who's spoken about millennials a lot, which is Simon Sinek. Um, Simon very clearly says that uh, we have nothing to blame the millennials about. It's the way they are and uh, how they operate and how they are in this world are something that should be seen as more complementary than uh, going against the system. Stefan's pretty much saying the same thing, right? Uh, he's talking about how, uh, you know, today uh, learning is all about, uh, you know, actually learning how to learn. And I believe mm -hmm. that's what the millennial is all about. The, the, the meta-learning dimension, learning about learning, is more important than anything else. How do I learn? How do I learn faster than anybody else? Uh, that benefits themselves. And I think that's the big trick. So I'm telling people all the time, there's great people who have this five-hour rule. Learn five hours per, uh, per week. Target-driven uh, way. Set your goals and drive towards those goals. And really famous people are doing that. Uh, and it's not about classes, it's about reading, it's about reflection, it's about those moments under the shower even, where are you connecting things, because connections are, are important, no, when, uh, when learning, uh, just going to a training program is, is absolutely useless, unless you make something out of it, so my journey is about yeah, trying to, to push the envelope all the time, and questioning myself, and, and, and trying to learn myself, and, and fall on my face, Hopefully not too often, but still, it's very useful to fall on your face and go from there. Obviously, he didn't have all this, you know, knowledge by himself. There were a few people who kind of influenced him uh, to think on these lines. All these thoughts and traits that he has developed seem to be coming out from there. If I want to improve my career and if I want to improve my chances of success at a career, it's always good to have a mentor or somebody who I can look up to and aspire to be. At least have some level of benchmark where you that's what you are, want to aspire to be. And um, Chaitanya, just go and uh, let's do a recap of all the people that we have spoke to so far, right? Everybody, everybody that we have spoken to has someone they call. Maybe they don't use the word influencer, but there's always been a name of a person that came up that they either look up to or they seek guidance from. Someone, you know, so I think your point is, you know, hitting the nail on its head. Uh, that's a pretty powerful tool in your own learning and development. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's lots and lots of people who influenced me. I did lots of Stephen Coffey's Seven uh, Habits of Highly Effective People. I was a master trainer for Nokia back, back in the days. Uh, he influenced me, I think, big time. John C.D. Brown is, for instance, one uh, giant of a person. A giant of a mind I, I'm learning a lot from.
So that's the career story uh, of Stefan. I think we've been able to break down some of the constructs that uh, make a great career. Thanks for listening again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Do share your feedback with us. Uh, make sure you like, comment, subscribe to our the podcast. And more importantly, if you find what you just heard helpful and really interesting, make sure that you do share it with all your friends, relatives, anybody that you feel can get really excited about the stuff that you just heard. Thanks to Voicebox Productions, especially Harsha, for helping us put this together. I think someday we should do a story about Flipkart and their growth story. Absolutely. Flipkart, are you listening? <laughs>